Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Entree Architect Foundations is a collection of more than 50 business forms and checklists designed and built specifically for you, the small firm architect. Learn more at entrearchitect.com foundations. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, and this is episode 212. Welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark R. LePage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, you're in the process of launching a startup, or you may be an experienced small firm architect just like me, just trying to make a difference. This podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. In 1986, Carlo Petrini protested the opening of a McDonald's restaurant in Piazza di Spagna in Rome and launched the slow food movement. Carl Honore explains in his book, In Praise of Slowness, that slow food stands for everything that McDonald's does not. Fresh, local, seasonal produce, recipes handed down through the generations, sustainable farming, artisanal production, leisurely dining with family and friends. But ultimately, the, the movement is about the sensual pleasures of food. 30 years after Carlo's protest, organic produce, artisanal cheeses, and craft beer are everywhere. Foodies flock to ever more specialized restaurants serving only food cultivated 
in their own backyards. Whole Foods is considered mass market and Michelle Obama is promoting farm to table in public schools. Carlo should be proud. He saved food. Since then, the slow movement has touched almost every industry except ours. Slow cities, slow aging, slow religion, slow cinema, slow education, slow sex, slow medicine, slow fashion, slow parenting, slow travel. Architecture, design, and the building industry are conspicuously absent from this list. Until now. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, the slow space movement with architect Meta Omat of Omat Plum Architects. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our longtime platform sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Core by BQE Software. And I'm going to share more about these great companies later, so listen up. But before we get started, just take a quick note right now. Go put it in your iPhone or jot it down. Go say hi to them. Go go check them out. RCAT, FreshBooks, Core by BQE. Let them know that you appreciate them for supporting us here at the Entree Architect Podcast because they are supporting you, the Entree Architect community. Meta Omat, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's thank you for being here. You, uh, I recently posted on the Entree Architect Community Facebook group um, for requests on who we want to hear on the on the podcast here. Um, and your name came back several times. And so wow. I wanted to reach out to you and uh, and say hi and bring you on the show and share your story, share what you're doing. Um, I did a little research on who you are and what you're doing, and I'm excited about this conversation. I think this is going to be a, a really fun conversation. So thank you for being here. Well, yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks again to everybody who, um, I don't know, asked for this interview. I really appreciate it. Yeah, good, good. Uh, let me introduce you a little bit to our listeners who, who don't know who you are. Uh, Meta Omat is a uh, is an architect, CEO, and co-founder of um, Omat Plum, an architecture and interiors and construction firm in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She's a former AIA member, which is interesting, <laughs> a design activist and co-founder of the Slow Space Movement to promote good, clean, and fair buildings for all. She publishes bi-weekly thought pieces on her blog, slowspace.org, which is may, maybe where you know her from. Uh, to explore ideas around slow space and slow architecture, which we're going to get into later and what that is. Um, she's also a mother of two, together with her husband and partner, Andrew Plum. Uh, and she was also diagnosed with MS in 2002 upon graduation from uh, Harvard's GSD, to the Graduate School of Design. So that's sort of who you are in a nutshell, uh, Meta. Let's let's dive into an origin story. Let's learn a little bit more about you. Go back as far as you want to go back. Whatever inspired you to become an architect, share that story to where you find yourself today. Okay, great. Well, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. That'll be fun. Thinking all the way back. So going all the way back, of course, it goes back to my parents. And my parents did not want me to be an architect. Um, and uh, they taught me that architecture was a really tough business. My father is an architect. Oh, there, um, there you go. Somebody yeah. <laughs> I knew somebody was an architect in there. <laughs> exactly. And my uh, mother was a business person. And uh, so I remember lots of um, highs and lows, recessions, things like that. Um, and so, um, of course, since they told me, um, 
not to be an architect, that's of course what I did. Um, so you should always use reverse psychology with your kids. So yeah. remember that, that's lesson number one. Um, and so I, I, I found my way to architecture kind of a, through a long path. Uh, originally started out in uh, urban planning and they were thrilled with that. That was, that was acceptable. And then eventually ended up in architecture um, at the GSD, which was grueling. Um, and I graduated from the GSD with an MRC and with MS. So that, that was multiple sclerosis, um, not another, not the good letters, not the good kind of letters after my, after my name, but um, that's also where I met my partner and husband, Andrew. So that was another positive thing that came out of it. Thank God for that. Um, so, um, so when we graduated, um, so yes, I was diagnosed, I, I got MS sometime during architecture school, all the stress, I'm sure, was uh, a trigger for, you know, for, well, nobody knows how you get it, but it was, it was a trigger. I was definitely stressed out. And about like two weeks before, uh, or maybe it was a week before my thesis review, I went blind in my right eye. I couldn't hold my, I couldn't hold my exacto to do the, um, to cut the little tiny pieces for my model anymore. And I just thought I was stressed out. It was like, right. oh, I can't see out of that eye. Oh, I'll deal with that later. Right. It must be stress, right? <laughs> it yeah. must be stress. Yeah. I mean, the life of an architecture be. student. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so like Andrew helped out, my friends helped out and, you know, and then I went to the doctor and, you know, it was a lot worse than I thought. Um, so, uh, so Andrew and I were starting our careers as architects and we, you know, with this kind of horrible diagnosis, just, you know, from the get go, like, okay, now what am I going to do? Like, how is this going to affect me? I have no idea. Um, you know, um, I, I didn't know anything about the disease. I didn't know anything about how it was going to, what kind of disability I was going to have, like nothing. Um. I knew I was burned out though. I knew I was totally already fried starting my career and I was already kind of at zero. Yeah. Um, and so um, we weren't sure what to do because uh, we really believed in the power of architecture um, and the power of it to make it an impact on people's lives, but we saw how much it sucked to be an architect um, and what little value our society places on architecture. Um, I mean, we have so little market share, um, you know, only 2%, they say, of buildings are designed by an architect. And that's even worse in, um, you know, in residential construction where there's really not a mandate, at least in, in um, public um, projects and institutional projects, you have to, by law, have an architect, but not so in residential. Um, so we were faced with this, you know, sort of dilemma of how are we going to do good work, have a good life, and make a good living. Well, we kept asking people that, and they were essentially like, yeah, that's not possible. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, yeah, you know, pick two out of three. What, um, did, what did mom and dad say at that point? <laughs> no, I didn't ask them. I, I like, <laughs> yeah, I had made my bed. You yeah. know, right? Yep. Um, so, but, you know, I love a good challenge. And so, like, since then, it was really like, like, we, we weren't willing to give up any one of those things, um, even though all the avenues, all the sort of regular avenues appeared as though you had to give up one of those things in order right. to progress. Um, so after a couple of years of working, um, we were lucky enough to be able to start our own firm so we could really try to figure out how to do things differently um, and the sort of 
not business as usual was our motto. Like, you know, how are we going to do this in a way that's different from um, the way all the other architects are doing it? Because the way that they're doing it is not working out. Right. It's not going to get us towards our uh, triple threat of, you know, good work, good life, good money. Um, and so, um, so we started looking to other business, to b the business world and other industries and just started reading a ton, tons of business books and, you know, trying to learn everything we could about, um, you know, how to, how to run a firm, how to run a profitable firm. Um, and, um, so like, you know, okay, 10 years later, like what are some of the things that we've, you know, and it's all been trial and error, of course, um, because, um, well, all we had was our own, uh, our own learning and our own sort of efforts and, you know, mistakes to learn from. Yeah, there's, so, there's no place to learn it. That's why I launched Entree Architect because yeah, we, exactly. we wanted to fill that void and create a place where small firms can learn what you're, what you had to learn on your own. Exactly. Exactly. And this was 10 years ago. Where were you then? Right, you know, right. it's like, I was, yeah. I was there, but I was really, really small. Right. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, you know, so we, so we figured out a few things, um, you know, in the process or, you know, we're constantly just trying things, you know, everyone that works with us is, is there, there's no like sort of, um, status quo. We're constantly innovating on the, you know, on the design side, but also on the business side. So, you know, we do things like we specialize as opposed to trying to do a little bit of everything. So we specialize in, um, in homes, uh, almost exclusively it took us a while to like even even be able to like that was a hard pill to swallow yeah like, that that's a no. common theme on the podcast and in my community i i call it the target market you have yeah. to pick a target market and we get pushed back on that all the time because everybody wants to do everything everyone and, wants to and do the everything. most successful firms are the ones that find a place find a target and and focus on that right and and you know, you can be successful if you focus on it because we found that every time we switched um, project types, th there was a huge learning curve. Right. It was apples and oranges. I mean, we did public, um, we did public housing. The bidding process for that has nothing to do with private residential. You know, commercial specs have nothing to do with um, with residential specs. It's like a whole different industry. Right. So you're never going to make any money if you're reinventing the wheel every time you get a new project. Um, um, and so, you know, so our goal is to be is to be profitable um, and so that we can uh, and I'll talk about that later so we can leverage that position as a profitable firm to make a greater impact. So but first we need to solve the money problem, yep. um, because if we're not in business, we can't do anything. Um, and if we're sick and, you know, uh, and broke, you know, we can't do anything. Um, and if we're doing shitty work also, like, what's the point? Right. Um, so none of those things were things we were going to, uh, we were going to sacrifice. So specializing was one. Um, then um, we recently decided to become an architect-led design build firm. So we specialize in the houses and um, in so rather than the crazy, you know, um, 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 combative relationship we have with builders now, um, if we just do the whole thing, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden for my one marketing dollar, at my one marketing dollar, I got one client, but then I got so much more scope out of that same client than I did before. We also do the interiors, so it's like a soup to nuts thing. But yep. the best part is that 
our clients love it because the process is such a mess without it. And it's so antagonistic and it's so complicated. And so we just take care of it for everybody. And it's like a win-win because we get to, we don't have to go through all the, um, you know, all the kind of paperwork during CA, all the cover your ass stuff with, um, you know, submittals and things like that. It's one hand talking to the other hand. We're all in the same office. It's like, it's, it's a, a, a revelation, uh, you know, and this is, again, a way to, like, streamline what is a really overcomplicated um, process, a very difficult uh, value proposition to sell to a client. Here, hire us to design this house. You have no idea what it's going to look like. Um, you have no idea how long it's going to take, and you have no idea how much it's going to cost. Right. Right? Wow, that's and, really and they And they think that your fee is one-tenth of what it really is. Well, yeah. And so, you know, but when you start from that, like nobody could sell that, you know, I mean, that's like impossible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the just custom home building in a, in a, a, and, and residential design is a difficult sell. And, you know, it, it puts us into like this very, very niche. And I would call say even elitist um, kind of pocket where, um, you know, doing the architecture alone meant that the projects had to be of a certain size Mm -hmm. in order for us to make any money on it. So we had to turn away people that would be, would have been great clients, but their projects were just too small and the scale wouldn't work out. But now that, um, you know, like the effort to reward ratio, um, wouldn't really, um, wouldn't really work out. We'd end up losing money, but if we design it and build it, then we have a much better opportunity to recoup some of our upfront investment and earn money you know at the end we can help more people um and so it was kind of killing us that the only people we could we could work with are were really wealthy people mm-hmm. uh, you know designing fancy houses for wealthy people you can be very profitable doing that um but we wanted to make a bigger impact um and go beyond that um how, and- how are you how are you providing the construction um, so we brought on a partner and who is, you know, has 15, 20 years experience as a construction manager mm-hmm. with a uh, great interest in architecture, wanted to become an architect and, you know, went a different route. So we had and we had worked with him before on a project where he was a builder on uh, on one of the projects that we designed. Great guy. So we brought him in and uh, we formed a, a sister company. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so it, so he runs the um he runs the jobs. Uh, well, he runs the business that then runs the jobs. Right. right. Um, okay. Yeah. Good. Great. Because um, there's lots of different ways to do that, um, and so I wanted to see see how you're doing it, and that's that seems to be the most successful route is to uh-huh. team up with somebody who's already done it. Um, yeah. Start a second company, let that person lead that company, and then you work together as a team. So so, you know, in a strategic way, you're one firm, but technically and legally, you're two firms, right? That's the way we figured out we had to do it because yeah. you couldn't get like builder as an architect you can't get right. builders insurance and you know and vice versa so um, we are Omot Plum as a you know as a, a, a as a brand yeah. um, and then we provide these different services and the sort of um, we're trying to make it in, in a way that there is no meaningful difference between, mm-hmm. you know, the, the separate companies. Everything is just one. Right, right. Um, but yes, for it's a uh, legal technicality, it's a technicality. Yeah. 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 So you're, you're essentially one firm providing design and construction and, yes. and the process. And from the client's point of view, 
there's no there's no seam at all. It's seamless. It's totally seamless. One check, yeah. one point of responsibility, um, one you know, one phone call to make when there's something goes wrong. You so know, if there's if there's one check, is that check being written to the architecture firm, and then the architecture firm is paying the construction firm? How do you do that financially? Actually, it has to go the other way. The other around. way around. So it's you're yep. paying. They're paying the contractor side of it. Yep. And then that then they pay the design side of it. Yep. Got it. Yep. Okay. Um and. And so, again, this is a way to just like, um, just a way to do things differently, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and to um, try to meet the needs and be able to serve more people by making this process that is, you know, really difficult um, a little bit easier. I mean, I also, you know, I have a guide on my website that's like how to hire an architect yeah. and like try to lay the steps out for people just, so that was the first pass is like providing information. Yeah. Um, you know, and just to like try to demystify, you know, but then when we were finding that we were, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't help people, certain people because it just, the project wasn't big enough, you know, that was frustrating to us. Yeah. We needed the work, but you know, the, it just, the, um, the formula didn't work out. So are you also giving them one fee up front? So one proposal for the whole package? Is one proposal for the whole package. Yeah. There's one contract for the entire thing. Um, and AIA has a document. I yeah. think it's for 145. Um, and so, yeah, there's one contract for the entire thing. There's an amendment like after the design phase when the um, when the construction fee is um, known. Um, and so that's a, an amendment that kind of triggers the start of construction. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. Yeah. Not, and so how long have you been doing that, the, the construction side? We just started last year. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, we're still kind of within the first year of doing it. Um, and were there, were there any surprises that, that you didn't expect both good and bad by doing that? All the surprises have been good. Well, I mean, all everything is, you know, um, you know, there's so much that's bad about the typical design bid build relationship. And yeah. we've kind of gone through the ringer already. Our very first project, um, you know, we got a great opportunity to design this great beach house. And we really like, you know, really um, stretched the design. The whole thing was out of cast in place concrete. And, you know, we, we had a lifetime's worth of experience in just doing that very first project, um, you know, design bid build at the end of the project, the contractor sued everybody, you know, including us. Yep. So our very first project, we get sued. Yay. So, yay. <laughs> um, Welcome to architecture. <laughs> right? You know, and it's kind of like, um, well, this sucks. You know, we get sued in federal court because we don't have, we, we don't have an agreement with the contractor. We were out of state, you know, I mean, it's a nightmare. Um, and uh, of course we got sued for, um, we got sued for doing what we were supposed to do because we literally did that entire project with the um, architect's handbook of professional practice open on the desk, <laughs> reading it like, okay, by the book, how are we supposed yeah. to do this? Like, you know, um, and so, um, yeah, so, you know, it, it's sort of, um, so we knew that doing it like the business as usual way is really broken and has lots of problems. And, um, you know, there's gotta be room for innovation here. Yeah. Um, there's gotta be lots of room. So anyway, um, so the goal of, you know, running a profitable firm and doing good work is, um, you know, that's a challenge in and of itself. Um, and that's a great challenge. 
Um, but what we wanted to be able to do is um, get to that point so we could leverage that position um, to the position of being a profitable firm to have a greater impact. And our mission is to um, improve the lives of 1 million people by creating good, clean, and fair homes. Um, now, the 1 million is, is a, is a arbitrary but large arbitrary number and yeah. it's it's intentionally large to get us thinking um at scale yeah and yeah. thinking about impact way beyond what we could do like maybe now we could help 12 people a year you know over uh 40 years that's for 48 people oh wow <laughs> it's like wow is that really yeah. like that all I was really meant to do, um, and so uh, so you know one way to have that kind of an impact. There, there's two approaches, at least two that I've come up with so far. One is the um, bottom-up approach, and that's starting a movement, mm -hmm. um, and that's really changing um, changing ideas and changing minds. Um, and so that's that's the genesis of the slow space movement. You know, looking at how much is wrong with uh, with our industry, design and construction, particularly in residential, and um, you know where we just the you know, p consumers don't have options. They have McMansions and we're, you know, us architects, we kind of are like poo poo it and we snicker, but we don't, we never go beyond that. Yeah. We don't it, do anything about it. We don't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the majority of, you know, again, um, we can't, we can't help people like the custom home building process. It takes so long and financing is difficult and all that kind of stuff. But most people are not willing to wait two years for the, to move into their house. I mean, that's a ridiculous proposition in and of itself, right? Most people, they, they, they need to move or they want to move or they want a house, you know, they want to buy a house and then move in three months, right? Yeah, is what right. it takes or six months. Let's say that's what like a production builder would do. That would be like the turnaround time for, yeah. you know, a production builder or something like that. Like that's a reasonable amount of time, even nine months, maybe, you know, a little longer. And that's the whole process. That's, that's like the whole process. From that's their decision to move into a new house to moving into the new house. Exactly. Um, exactly. And so, um, you know, and so, uh, so, so they don't have any other options. They're, the custom option isn't an option, really, when you've got when you're working on a time frame of six months, which right. is a reasonable time frame. Um, and so that isn't an option. So what's what's an option is what's already out there, and what's already out there is um, is crap. Um, and you know, it's it's. Um, McMansions, all the new stuff, because I mean, I, I'm in Boston and people love the old houses here, but you know, not in the rest of the country. Yeah. My yeah. in-laws kind of like, what? You bought a hundred year old house? Why would you do that? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm, I'm in the process. We're in New York, just, just above New York city. Uh, we live in a house that's from the thirties. Um, but we're in the process of moving to Charlotte, North Carolina, Charlotte, North Carolina is booming right now. And it's all builder, builder houses. Yeah. Miles and acres and acres and acres and acres of the same McMansion houses, all at different price points, but it's all that same stuff that you're talking about. Yeah. And, and every corner is a commercial, that same commercial corner, the same Target, the same Walmart, the same Panera yeah. Bread on every corner for acres and acres and miles and miles. Yeah. And so, you know, so 
there's so what so what's wrong with the McMansion? I mean, there's there's lots of things that are wrong with it from a design perspective, and your audience is all architects, so I don't need to go into this. But let's just say poor design, yeah. right? Let's let's take that as a given. Um, but then um, let's talk about the other two points. And this good, clean, and fair is something I borrowed from the slow food movement. Yeah, actually, before you get into it, explain yeah. explain slow space and where okay. that came from. Okay, so slow space is is um, it's it exists as two things in our mind at Omat Plum. And on the one hand, it's a it's our kind of esoteric like design philosophy, and on the other hand, it's a very practical social movement. Um, and so, uh, and in my blog, I kind of get into both. Like, um, I, I have some articles that where I'm like um, talking about this sort of uh, philosophy and metaphysics of space the space-time continuum, which I'm really fascinated by, you know, um, and, and then on the same, on the, you know, on the same, um, same blog, but, you know, different article, I'll be talking about, like, you know, what makes a, how do I define a clean building, you know, yeah. um, so, so, so two kind of very different realms that I'm still kind of grappling with, but I'm still very much interested in both. Um, but in terms of making it like a larger movement, um, you know, I, I wanted to, um, you know, this idea of, um, well, number one, like, you know, I'm an architect, just like you, what do we know about like social movements? Nothing. So, you know, it's great to model it off of, um, something else that has been a successful movement. And then the whole idea of the slow movement just fit so well with Andrew and, and my philosophy on life and the way that we needed to go about doing things in a very slow, methodical way. I mean, we are the proverbial tortoise that is, you know, kind of take, doing our paces, you know, getting one step at a time, getting there, you know, but there were never any hype or fanfare or anything like that. You know, um, we had other friends that started firms, you know, around the same time, got lots of publicity and we were yep. kind of like, oh, you know, be, be a little jealous. It's like, that's just not us. You know, we are just like pretty down to earth and straight shooters and just like, we're just going to plot along here and we're yep. just going to do our thing. Slow and steady wins the race. Um, and the more we started thinking about the analogy, the more like it kind of perfect it was just the the whole idea of it, it just blends so well with our interest in um, in the experience of space as opposed to the sort of uh, object, objectification of architecture that's been so um, prevalent the last 20 years and what it looks like and you know the kind of sexy image you can put up on you know on um, you know um, on a, you know, in a magazine or on an online blog or something like that. Um, you know, we're interested in how do the spaces feel? How do they make you feel? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, what's the phenomenological, um, you know, experience of it's like the, the space. the antithesis of the developer house, right? I mean, well, if, it is, if which the, is. If the, if the developer house is this, get it up as fast as you can. It doesn't matter about quality. It doesn't matter about design. Just give them square footage, give them the number of bedrooms they're looking for. And let's get on to the next one. The slow, exactly. the slow space movement sounds like that. Slow it down. Let's do it quality, you know, quality construction. You know, well designed. Thinking about the the experience of living in a house, how it's going to yeah. affect the family, how it's going to affect your health. Those are all things that the builders never even consider. It's not part of their business plan. 
Right. Exactly. And, you know, the it's it's the fast the McMansions are the fast food of our, you know, of our industry, you know, and it's no um, surprise that they're called McMansions. You know, I mean, it's like they literally are um, the McDonald's of, um, you know, of of houses. And, um, you know, we're our philosophy is to build less but better, Um, you know, build. higher quality that's going to last a long time The a lot of the single family homes and condos that I see going up all around, I mean, they're not going to last much more than 30 or 40 years. Um, and so if you think about the, um, about the waste of resources, mm-hmm. you know, all the money and time that's spent to, to build these buildings that are gonna last less than 50 years and then they're just gonna have to be torn down and rebuilt again what a shame you know uh when we could just do it a little bit better and then end up with a hundred year 200 year building you know that will be around for that long i mean you know like this is we don't have we don't have limitless resources on our planet you know and if we're if we're building fast and cheap um you know then we're just going to be churning through these things you know at a pace much much faster than uh than it used to be let's take a quick break here to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at entree architect rcat fresh books and core by bqe software your boss asks you to put together some cad details for your firm's next project What's your next step? What do you do? Is it using the basic internet search on on your computer only to find outdated or or incompatible details? Grabbing the details from your last project and and hoping they fit in this project? There's an easier, faster, much less stressful way to get the information you need. RCAT.com. RCAT has over 15,000 CAD details based on real manufacturers' products and a powerful search engine to find just the right one that you're looking for. Best of all, it's free. You don't even have to register. You don't even have to give them your email address. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. Let them know that we sent you and then start downloading all the CAD details that you need for free. entrearchitect.com slash RCAT. FreshBooks. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically. Automatically. I love that. Track your time for your whole team by project and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of our biggest hurdles as entrepreneur architects. Who has time to get the invoices out and get paid, right? But if we don't send out invoices, we don't get paid. FreshBooks makes it easy to send out invoices and get paid online with the click of a button. I love this. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, and that's like every time, FreshBooks sends them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Visit entrearchitect.com slash freshbooks to access FreshBooks for free. And be sure to enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. 
BQE Core revolutionizes the way architects manage projects, time and expenses, billing, and accounting. Core brings every part of your business under one roof so you can stop switching between systems and get back to work on being an architect. Made by BQE, the company behind ArchiOffice, Core saves you time while giving you the visibility, the flexibility, and the power you need to grow your firm. Work from anywhere, seamlessly collaborate, and gain transformative insights with Core's groundbreaking platform. Learn more and get a free trial, 15 days free, at entrearchitect.com slash BQE. RCAT, FreshBooks, and BQE software. Visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. How do you serve that, that market that's looking for that developer house? That, that six month period you know, that everybody's looking for, how do we do that if we slow down and build, you know, design a better house and build a better quality? How do we compete with builders? Well, uh, so one way uh, is that first we have to change people's hearts and minds. So we need to educate them. Mm -hmm. First of all, you know, architects need to start taking a stand we need to protest. I mean, the slow food guys, they went out and they protested the McDonald's, you know, right, right. when was the last time you saw an architect protesting a McMansion? Right. You just, know, just the slow, slow food, because I don't think you mentioned what slow food is for anybody who doesn't know what slow food oh, okay. movement yep. is. Thank it's, you. it's about fresh food. It's about local food. It's about seasonal food. It's about sort of the the uh, the artisans. It's sort of going back to real food, you know, built, you know, from food that's grown within a certain limit of your place where you're 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 going to cook it and cooking real good food um, yep. and there's a whole movement of slow food there's restaurants and there's now retail and you know uh, yep. whole foods is all built around all of that and so yep. it, it's it's and so that's the idea of the slow food movement and i think that's probably that was probably the first slow move movement right it was it was and then yeah. there's lots of inspired movements from slow food that sort of grew out of that but but none for architecture and so your idea is to, is to take that idea, that philosophy of slow food and, yep. and bring it to architecture and bring it sort of go back to the, the traditional way of building houses and designing them and the quality of those houses and design them for hundred year homes and, and for families and who are going to, you know, grow their families in them and, and to build healthy homes and, and be able to, you know, calculate the savings by doing that it might be a little bit more expensive it might take a little bit more time but ultimately you're not going to have tracks and tracks and tracks of houses that in 20 years are going to tear down and have to rebuild again which is clearly yeah. what's going to have to happen with the houses that are being built today yeah exactly well thank you you just like sold it in a nutshell right there <laughs> that was perfect and there's another really interesting part about the slow food movement which is that it's about the sensual pleasures of eating mm, right, right. and about the experience of um sharing food around a table with loved ones and that's the other part that's so great about uh, and how well that translates into architecture in my mind um you know in the kind of architecture that i love it's about like connecting and being together and you know and enjoying the sensual pleasures of you know the sort of fully uh fully immersed experience of architecture um so you know and that's what's you know that's another essential part that's missing from you know big box stores mcmansions yeah. strip malls and that kind of stuff so, yeah. i mean you don't feel anything 
Right, right, and that and that's that's essentially what makes it a movement, right? When you when I asked you that question, and you said, "Well, we're going to have to change the hearts and minds of people." We're essentially yep. not competing with the builders. We're trying no. to convince the people who are buying those houses that those houses are wrong, that those houses right. are they're, are bad, they're right. unhealthy, they're 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 temporary, and that there is an alternative. And that yep. if they just look over here, and they just take yep. a look at what we're doing, they may consider choosing a different alternate route. And if you can make a movement out of that, you can get a lot more people to take that shift and turn their head and look at the other way and turn their back to the builders. Exactly. And, you know, I don't have any, um, you know, this is a long-term plan yeah, here. Yeah. You know, uh, the slow food movement started 30 years ago, but now um, Whole Foods is fully mainstream. Amazon bought it, right? You know, it's going to be delivered right. to your yeah. doorstep. So, yeah. you know, they succeeded. That doesn't but it, get more it, mainstream than that. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> so they succeeded. And, you know, organic food, farm to table. I mean, I could artisanal cheese, craft beer. Yeah. I could go on and on with yeah. all the things that, like, we now kind of take for granted that they were uh, championing at the beginning. Um, so, but it takes a long time. And yeah. I have, you know, uh, I have um, no, you know, preconceptions that this is like a again it's a slow movement you know yeah. no problem i'm i'm in it for the long haul um and so 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 back to the three tenets so yeah. uh which are good clean and fair and again i borrowed them from slow food because again i don't know what i'm doing as an activist you know um and so they seem to work out just fine for them and they seem to apply just fine to our industry yes, yes. Um, so good is good design, um, you know, uh, around human centered design around empathy. Beauty is critical. Nobody's going to take care of an ugly building. Uh, it must be beautiful. And that, I mean, when I was in architecture school, nobody would talk about beauty. They just refused to talk about it, but it used to be, that was what we were specialists in yeah. was the, you know, it was beauty. So it has to be there. So, and then clean. Okay, so clean is kind of a different take on the um, sustainability movement. It's not so much about energy efficiency um, because you can get a really great R value with your spray foam insulation. But when two guys show up in a hazmat suit to install it, <laughs> right. don't you just wonder? Doesn't that make you go, hmm? Yeah. Right? Like, this is not clean. You know, you really you really want to live inside of a spray foam bubble. Um, you know, they don't tell you that five to 10 percent of the cases, the stuff never cures properly and it off gases forever. And that's the equivalent of having your car totaled because you can't get that stuff off. Right. And so, um, you know, it, it's just like another one of those things where like, oh, lead paint. That was a great idea once. Asbestos. That was a great idea once. You know, it's like, let's not be let's not over fetishize the new and the, you know, the silver bullet of, oh, there's this great new building product. Guess what? The building products we've been using for thousands of years, like wood, they work great. Um, and, uh, and we've got the data to prove it, you know, over thousands of years, it's like I've tried and tested. Um, so, so we're thinking about clean, you know, what, like, it's the, um, yeah, like speaking of lead, it's like the um, use your your children uh, as a as t a theoretical test case. Would you let your kids eat it? You know, yeah. <laughs> because they eat lead paint, right? All right. They actually flavored it so that it would taste good. Oh. Um, 
And, you know, but it's like, all right, yeah, I'd let my kid chew on a stick, like some wood. Okay, you know, it's pretty benign. Spray foam insulation? No, I don't think so. You know, it's like, if you wouldn't eat it, like, do you really want to live in it? Um, And so I'm just looking for, like, common sense, uh, a common sense approach that is, um, you know, not so um, reliant on... um, checklists and data sheets and um you know a lot a lot of big data heavy stuff like let's just let's just be kind of commonsensical about it and about what we build with and like what's in that stuff so we're we're looking critically at what are all the regular things that we build with all the time we were just doing some research into um jipboard um did you know that 90 percent of the jipboard produced worldwide is sold in the u.s no no so what's everybody else using? And are we the fools? We yeah. might be, right? Very like, interesting, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, we need to question some of these um, things that we just take for granted, right? That's like, oh, yeah, well, that's standard practice. It's like, oh, but why? Anyway, um, so clean is about literally like clean, like natural and non-toxic materials. Um, and then fair is another thing that is very, um, that I'm very passionate about because, um, labor exploitation in the construction industry is huge, especially in residential construction. And some, um, there's been some highlighting of that in um, abroad in Middle Eastern countries where they're um, they have migrant labor that comes in from other countries and they're they're basically like um, kept in workers detention camps, uh, you know, in the middle of the desert, uh, working 20 hour days without water, um, you know, in horrible conditions. But um, guess what? That stuff happens here too, even though we have laws. I mean, if your builder uses day laborers, that's basically the same as they're paying them under the table. They're not on the books. Um, and they're not paying, they're not paying into the social security system. They're not paying, there's no workers comp. There's no unemployment insurance. Um, when those workers get hurt, they're out of luck. And a lot of times the, um, a lot of the production builders are very guilty of this. A lot of times um, their wages will be withheld and that, you know, the workers are told, Hey, you better come back to the job tomorrow or else you're not going to get paid. And their, their wages are withheld for weeks, months, and they're preying on the already right. sort of, um, you know, powerless. Um, you know, oftentimes the workers may be undocumented. They may be documented. They may be us citizens, you know, um, but they're they're being exploited, and the entire um, you know the entire bar is lowered for the construction industry, which could be such a phenomenal source of great middle class jobs. Um, but you know, people need to be paid a living wage, and once people get or start to be paid a living wage, you know you're going to see. Um, changes all throughout, you know, throughout the entire industry. I mean, you're not going to be able to build this, a 4,000 square foot house if you're actually paying people what they should be paid right. to build it. Right. Uh, you might be able to afford a 2,000 square foot house for the same money. So less but better, Yeah. you know, better materials, fair labor. We need um, fair trade construction materials, right? Have you ever heard of that? No. 
never heard no, of it. I've we, heard we, fair trade food. Fair trade food. So yep. don't you need fair trade uh, construction materials because there are uh, because the zinc that is mined and yeah, uh, pick any ore. Right. You know, yep. it doesn't matter what it is. It's mined. You know, we're t- like by children in Africa crawling into tunnels in totally unsafe conditions, you know, basically child slave labor to get the zinc for your zinc coated copper panels for your building. You know, is that okay? Like, can we really accept that? And, um, you know, we can say that, oh, well, the government's supposed to regulate that kind of stuff. And, you know, we know that will never happen. And we're actually on the front lines as architects because we're specifying the products. And so, um, you know, we can make a difference. We can say, no, that's not okay. And the easy one for right now for your listeners is FSC certified wood. Please use FSC certified wood. That's the only thing that comes close to being a fair trade building product um, out there. The only thing with a kind of chain of custody, you know, um, where labor is also factored into it. Um, So please use that. Then other than that, you know, and there's a, there's a website for FSC uh, materials, right? Where you can you can actually see who's selling it, and and there's labels for it, and there's so it's e- it's easily it. documented. It's easily documented. Even Home Depot sells FSC certified plywood, so um, you know that's like a no brainer. Everything else is like a market that needs to be created, and um, you know this is a this is capitalism at its best. We can create that market. If we create the demand, somebody will fill it. Right. But we need to we need to create the demand, and so it needs to come from us. And um, you know, your um, your clients, you need to educate them. You say, do you really want to um, you know get that tropical hardwood that not only is depleting the rainforest but was also harvested by slaves? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's kind of a tough sell. Right, it's right. like, you know, so, but there's just no, nobody's talking about it. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of my, my mission. And that's part of the movement. So, as well. so how, how, how do we keep the movement moving? How is there, are there, you have the, your website, slowspace.org. Yep. Um, that's the, your blog and that's all about the movement itself. Yep. Um, is there a way for listeners to be able to, to get involved and help you m- keep keep moving the the movement yeah that would be great you know um and so maybe uh well is to to sign up for um my sign up for the blog so i'll send you an email when a new blog post comes out there's also a facebook page that's facebook.com forward slash slow space movement so you can join there I'm open to suggestions. I mean, the best thing I can do right now is just sort of spread the word and get people to start talking about things. And that's what the value of this podcast is for me, is that, you know, we can get these ideas out there to more people. Um, And the more people that start talking about it, the more people start asking the question, oh, do you have any fair trade construction materials? Huh? What's that? You know, like, oh, I don't know. Like three people just asked me about that last week. Um, You know, this is how things, this is how change happens in the us exactly right? it doesn't it's, happen it's, from it's the right top now down. it's this gigantic ball the size yep. of a house and you're pushing on it <laughs> and I'm you need and it. you need a few more people to help you push that Definitely. ball to get it to move because once that thing starts moving it's not going to stop, it, and, it's, it, not gonna stop. And it's not going to take a whole lot of us to get it to move 
Right. And so, so it's slowspace.org is the, yep. is where you can go and learn all about it. You can you can subscribe there. All yep. of the social media is there as well up in the top right corner at slowspace.org. Yep. You can see um, uh, Meta's uh, website, uh, Meta, oh, uh, what is it? It's uh, omotplum.com is, yep. is the website. Um, and you can find um, Meta all over social media. I, I follow her on Twitter. It's Meta Omot. And, and, and let me spell that so everybody knows because it's not spelled the way it sounds. It's M-E-T-T-E-A-A-M-O-D-T. And that'll be on the show notes. This is this is uh, episode 212. So entrearchitect.com slash 212. And we'll have, we'll have links to everything. So if you just go there to entrearchitect.com slash episode 212, we'll have links to slowspace.org and the website and all of the social media uh, and everything that we that we need there. So um, that I, I I applaud you. I commend you. I thank you. Um, it's 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 a worthy cause, and it's definitely something that I'm very interested in. It it's sort of the way I I've never sort of formulated it. I never really thought about it as a movement or or a how how you design. But it's the way I like to design. It's you know I like I said I live in a house that was built in 1934. This is that house that you're talking yeah. about. It was that yep. house before the war. That's the way they built them. That's you know, the way they were. Yep. You know, you and take, then something happened in the seventies and everything went to shit. Yeah. Yeah. And we can get it. We can get it back. It'll take us. It'll take us a lot of time. It'll be slow. It'll be slow. But if we, that's okay. If we, if we all sort of take it one step at a time. And I love the, I love the idea of sort of just not, not cause we are always talking about in the group at entrearchitect.com slash group, the Facebook group. We're always talking about how do we compete with the builders? How do we change, you know, change the builders? But you're saying don't change the builders. You can't change them. Give, give the, the consumer an alternative. Give them yeah. something that's better that they can, they can go and find and, and, and live in. And they'll see the value in the smaller house. The, maybe it's a little bit more expensive per square foot. Um, they, and there's lots of pieces. Like it's a big, big movement, right? Because then you start thinking about the real estate agents. Because you have to change the minds of the real estate agents too on the way they're going to sell those houses because they're selling, you know, three bedrooms, two bathrooms. You know, it's all about the square footage. Um, it doesn't matter yeah. that you never hear an architect design house or the the value no. of an architect design you house. You do in Europe, though. You hear that on, you know, in a, a real estate listings, it'll say right there, architect designed house, and that has a value. It doesn't have a yeah. value here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank you very much for, for hanging out here with me, sharing your story um, and, and all of the hard work that you're doing. Um, I love your architecture. So I definitely, I, I hope everybody goes and checks out your architecture just purely as design. I think it's beautiful. Thank um, you. And definitely go check out slowspace.org. Um, Meta Omat, thank you very much for joining me here and sharing your knowledge at Entree Architect Podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure, Mark. Thank you so much. So before we wrap up here, I have three more items to share. Number one, share, 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 share this episode with a friend, entrearchitect.com slash episode 212. That's entrearchitect.com slash episode 212. That's the episode to share. We're growing. We are growing because you're sharing. It's the only way this is happening. So just take a few seconds just type out entrearchitect.com slash episode 212. Send it to a friend, either email or Facebook or Twitter. And, and tag me in social media. Tag me so I know that you're sending it. 
I know you are because I, this this podcast is growing every every month. I, the numbers are going up, and the only way that's happening is by you sharing it. So, but tag me. I want to know. I want to thank you. Uh, so do that. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 212. Number two, if you like the Entree Architect podcast, I have two other podcasts that I want you to add to your playlist. You will love these shows. Speak podcast and Inside the Firm. You may already be listening to them. If you're not, put them on your playlist. Speak podcast is hosted by our friends Cormac Phelan, uh, Neil Pan, Evan Troxell, three guys. They are fantastic. Where I focus on business and leadership and life as a small firm architect, they talk about everything of what it's like to be an architect. They talk about all of uh, the profession, the good and the bad. They, they share it all. They always entertain, and I always learn something new that I didn't know. Uh, so definitely check out Arca Speak Podcast. And my friends Lance Psycho and Alex Gore over at Inside the Firm Podcast, they are crushing it. These guys are awesome. The guys at Arcaspeak and I launched around the same time back in late 2012. So we've been around for a long time now, five plus years inside the firm are the new boys in town. Uh, they've been around for about a year and a half online at Inside the Firm and every show brings value. They've formatted their show into separate segments and so they sort of talk about one thing and they sort of talk about being an entrepreneur architect um, and they talk, they, they do a reading and they do uh, uh, ARE hacks game show. Very, very entertaining. I love it. Uh, and, and I have a playlist of about 20 podcasts that I download each week, but I only listen to about eight of them consistently every week. I sort of, I listen to more than that, but eight of them, I'm, I'm on it every week. I listen to every episode. These are the podcasts that educate me. They inspire me. They entertain me. These are the shows that I never miss, these eight. And both Arcaspeak and Inside the Firm are on that list. So I encourage you to add both of those shows to the top of your playlist right now. And number three, this is important. This may change your life as a small firm architect. It's something that, that will help you build all those, those important business systems that will make your firm run smoothly. They'll make you more money. It's something that will will make you more efficient, more effective, more productive. I want you to go check out Entree Architect Foundations. It's a collection of more than 50 business forms and checklists designed and built specifically for small firm architects. You can learn more about them at entrearchitect.com slash foundations. These are the documents that I built for my own firm. These are my documents. And it took me more than 20 years to build this valuable library of resources. And it's the foundation of my success. This collection includes documents for business administration, design development, project management, construction management, my sales system, and complete project organization. It has everything that I need to run my firm. Whether you've just started your firm or you've been in business for decades, these are the documents you need to make your business systems purr. Learn more at entrearchitect.com slash foundations. Go check them out right now. It will change the way you do business. entrearchitect.com slash foundations. My name is Mark Arlapage and I thank you for being here. I'm an entrepreneur architect and I encourage you to build a better business so you can be a better architect. 
love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a fantastic week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.